Hello, ladies and gents. It's uh, Dan from Adventure More UK. Welcome to my new podcast, uh, new episode uh, for the year. Um, so, today I've got a special guest with me. Uh, he's a f- former training partner, uh, he's a British powerlifter, and he's also an army veteran. Uh, the man is Mr. Aaron Hull. How are you going, mate? Yeah, cheers for having us, Dan. Not bad. Um, how are you keeping well? Yeah, yeah, good, mate. Good. As I said, as we said before, um, I first met you probably tw- 13, 14 years ago now. Yeah. And we've both kind of changed. We're both bold and you're slightly bearded. Heavier. So, heavier. No, I, definitely, definitely out bearding me though, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, cause you, hang on. So what, what were you weighing at? Like, what were you training at? Like competing at at that time? Um, I was in 90 kilo category then. Um, which and I'm in the 105s. I'm in a different federation, and um, the weight classes are a little bit different. But yeah, 105 kilo now. So yeah, but it, not yeah, too so much still 15k, still a bit. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I um, like obviously I didn't. I basically met you in my first unit uh, when I first joined up, and obviously you wasn't when I left basically. Uh, so you all know this, but I, I put on. I went up to about 115 kilos. Believe it oh. or not, I, I was it, I was a. Fr- I've what I've told you. I'm five eight to nine. Oh, push. I'm really taller than me. I think I'm only five seven I got, five eight. So. I, I, I was gonna say I thought you were about five two. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it is. Nah, nah. You've got short levers, haven't you? You got short levers. Uh, I don't know. I've got deceptively lot. I've got short legs and a long spine, like a. Yeah, like a monkey, I've got uh, really long arms, so I suppose dead well, powerlifting suppose ideal for me, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, definitely. Um, now, mate, I, I, I'll say I'll go talk about um, beforehand is like what you did up until you joined the army because I know you joined the army young like me, uh, and there's a few things I want to talk about about that. But what did you do beforehand? Just start fights and feel <laughs> <laughs> good, you know. Um, I was only 16 when I joined, um, so it was pretty much straight from school. Um, but yeah, school, like I skived off quite a lot and I was a bit of a lad, but luckily I did, I did really well on my uh, GCSEs and stuff like that. I don't know, stroke of luck or just like, I want to say intelligent, but I won't go that far. But uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't know right on my exams and then obviously the aptitude test for the army, it was like, in fact, I went to join the Paris, and at the time it was like, you're too yeah. scrawny and too intelligent. So too, <laughs> too scrawny and too intelligent to join the Paris. So um, I ended up obviously in the signals, and that's how I came across you. But um, I'm glad now, because obviously that gave the, the promotions and stuff like that. Because obviously, as you know, I was like, I was only 20, 22 when I got promoted to sergeant, which was yeah, yeah. the youngest, youngest on record in it, which you don't hear of that. No, and, no, you don't. No. If I'd have joined the Paris, that would probably never been the case. No, no, so, it's, 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 it's crazy. I was, I was going to say, like, being, obviously, you got your Lance Corporal, or Lance Jack, as we call it, out of training, didn't you? Like, I think, yeah. like, as a tech. And then, I think, I think you came to 21 Seeks as a full screw, didn't you? As a corporal? Yeah, I was a corporal straight from Germany. I think it was a little, like, 19, 19 year old. Yeah, as a corporal, which is. That's, it's crazy, isn't it? Like, nowadays, I don't think that's, I don't, to be honest, I don't think that's very common nowadays. Um, it's still like so, that, it? yeah, yeah, it's this, it's, it's, and like you say, being, I don't know if that's still the record, is that record? I don't, it's, I, 
as you say record it's more like it's just a generic kind of thing isn't it like oh, being yeah. the youngest sergeant was that in just in the signals or was that in the, well, in the yeah. army army wide as long as manning and records had, had existed which i think was well i think they probably got uh came into control of obviously manning and postings and stuff a yeah, long yeah. Time. so yeah you know yeah well like um, i said i i met you like obviously as a full as a full screw as a corporal and then obviously you, be, you got promoted and obviously people don't didn't know like i was a signaler which is like a private equivalent um obviously yeah. sometimes there was a little bit of um like because obviously we became really good mates but like i think there was a lot of people who must have thought it was a bit weird like if that makes sense like there might have been people who saying, oh why are you hanging around with a sergeant or vice versa because obviously there's like a senior rank system and all that that people get a bit arsy about yeah, but the thing is, like, people get promoted into certain ranks and it changes, like, who they are, like, they're supposed to behave in a certain way where I was I was just always the same person. I think that's, um, and to be honest, I never had to shout at anyone. I never got into arguments with anyone. And I yeah. think the lads in my team and stuff like that, especially when I went to Caution, um, they was just, they were just, I don't know if it was just because they respected me for that or just because I'm not a dickhead, you know, and they... It worked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the team was always the best teams and always getting the stuff done like above and beyond all the other teams and stuff. And I never took credit for it. It was always them. So it was, um, yeah, it just, just worked. I think yeah. if, um, I think if you, if people don't like you and don't respect you, the only way people will do the work is then if you're shouting at them and stuff like that, which is obviously yeah. army army, you know, and it's, it's, it's not nah. about that. Um, nah, nah. No, no, I, no, I, I, I've got mates now. I don't know about you. I'm sure you still got mates in. Like, I, I, I've got mates who have done like, uh, a, you know, like uh, training st- establishments like Perbright and stuff. Um, which is obviously for people who don't know, it's where all the tra- you know a lot of lot of squaddies go nowadays to do their training, etc. And it, it seems very. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm a, I appreciate that we're living in a different time and kind of generation, but it seems like it's going quite, like very PC and very like. You know, I'll just shout and swear at you know recruits anymore and stuff like that. It, it, it's I don't feel like it has the same effect as like our generation or even the generation before us of like the you know like the Gulf War generation before that, which was even yeah. different to us. So thing it, is, it's different. It's like one part of me thinks that they need it, and then I think the other part is is that just like some sort of like inbuilt bitterness because I went through that. So why shouldn't yeah. they have to? And actually. Should they have to? I don't know. If you look now, they're, they're fitter and stronger than ever, and they're doing a better job than ever. So I don't know. Um, I think maybe it is, that is the way that it should go. Um, yeah. Without without being soft, there's a difference in there. If you if there's still a criteria to meet, um, and it's physical, but then obviously the, the people aren't soft. I think so. You need a certain mental um, drive to achieve some of the goals that they have to do and stuff. So. Um, I don't know, but then on the flip side, you know, PTSDs are, you know, all time high and stuff like that. And yep. is that um, because people aren't going through? Because obviously, in training, when we went through training, and the people before us, even even more so, is there's a certain level of um, what's the word? Like you need a certain mental endurance about it, or yeah, hardness. Yeah. And those that don't with don't have that, don't pass training bit. Like don't just uh, pass basic training. Sorry. Where like now, if that's not the case and they are passing, does that predispose them to PTSD because they they wasn't filtered out in the early stages? 
Yeah, um, yeah. But the care's there, so well, I say the care's there. The care, the care's there until you discharge from the forces, and then yeah, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, a bit different then. So yeah, but, yeah. like I said, um, like I said, if I fast forward like to when I when I left, as people most people know, and obviously you won't know as much because I haven't spoken to you for a while. Um, so I left, obviously. I had PTSD and all that, uh, you know, some of the stuff I've seen and done in Afghan. Um, well, again, uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but like, so for people that don't, like, obviously, that my podcast is called Catch on the Flip Side. Do you remember Dave Grout? He, I do remember Dave. I didn't, I didn't know him very well personally. I just, you know, a couple of passing. Um, yeah. He sadly passed away. I know you was quite close with him, if I remember, remember yeah. right. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's obviously the reason why it's called that because that's the last that last the last thing he said to me before he died, uh, as he got like he went got on the plane to go on R and R in from Afghan, and that's what he said. I was, oh, I'll catch you on the flip side. I'm like, yeah, no worries. And then obviously, you know, he got he got decked outside a pub and you know hit his head on the floor and died of a brain injury, which you know it's crazy. crazy. It is crazy, you know, come, come from a war zone and then die at home in a fight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's crazy, yeah. and that's 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 why it's called. But um, yeah, so that's one of the main sort of factors of you know, along with other things that I've seen and done over there. Uh, and for, for me, like people, I I would still get me wrong. PTSDs to do with like just just military people, or, you know, who've done, you know, fighting in Afghan or Iraq or whatever. Obviously, there's people who you know civilians who've been involved in, you know, even just little things that might not seem so big to us, might be a big thing to them because it's just something that sticks in your head. And obviously, yeah, I know. Yeah, they've known as well, isn't there? I know a lot of people like um, people can get PTSD from what would be like quite trivial stress, mm. and a lot of people that have been through much worse who don't have PTSD are very yeah. quick to go, oh, they've just been weak or this or that, and it and it's you know it can be anything from the truth. Some of the toughest people I've ever met suffer yeah, with PTSD. Yeah. Some of the things they've went through, some of them. I haven't been involved with deaths or anything like that. It's just from being in Afghanistan or Iraq for six months, coming under mortar attack every day, which is well, rocket attacks every day and IEDs. Yeah. And they might not have seen anything. None of them might not hit, but the stress of that day in, day out, you know, rockets coming in. Some people just get desensitized to it. And, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> the IDF alarm goes off and everyone's just like, you're first on, so everyone's diving on the deck. And by the end of it, you know, you walk into the shower block and you flip flops. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. You, you're desensitized to it. But the thing is, a lot of people don't get desensitized to it. And they're the ones who ultimately end up with PTSD and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy. I know when, when I was in, uh, sorry, when I was in Iraq, which was 2007, I went with 21 Six. Um, and basically, we we stayed in the, what's called the Cobb. Um, and I remember. Obviously, the the drill was when you're over there is that you, when you hear the alarm, which in in Iraq it was generally mortars. That's what the main issue was compared to Afghan. Uh, so you jump out a vehicle, you don't you know dive into the trench on the side of the road or whatever it may be. This was obviously on camp, not obviously in the middle of Basra, but um, you, you literally jump out. I remember a story. It was two RAF lads uh, who did that. Um, and basically they slammed on the brakes, jumped out. And then the iron- irony was that if they had carried on driving and not listened to the alarm, it would, the mortar would have landed behind them. But because they stopped, 
the moment he landed directly on top of the Land Rover and killed them both. I remember that, and it was crazy. And it's, you know, it's one of them, you never know when it's going to happen to you. You know, it's happened, you know, our old accommodation block, when I, again, when I was in, in Iraq, got hit by a, an, uh, by a, a mortar, and that was after we'd moved out. We moved out to another part of the camp. But again, it was, luckily there was no one in it at the time, but it was actually in and around, like only for, you know, less than 10, 20 metres from where we used to physically, you know, sleep in the tents. It's crazy, man. It's really crazy. And you just think yourself lucky sometimes. Um, but again, it's, it can happen in any, you know, any part of your life. But um, it kind of brings me on to like what you do now. I know you're working, you're more, is it more like tech support you're working? Uh to some degree, it's not really tech support working. Um, so, a job title is actually a network analyst, but basically, it's working on a wide range of systems from trivial stuff to putting IP phones out on desks to, you know, like gathering information on a cyber attack that came across as um, project rollouts, so like wireless deployments through new sites and provisioning routes and switches for new sites. It's like it's all like third third line to some degree. Yeah. Um, so obviously we've got a service desk, they'll escalate to like the desktop and IT and then if they can't resolve yeah, yeah. it, it comes to, to networks where like yeah. the, the gods and that's, are the... That's for uh, like a, is that, you say it's for a mental health trust? It that? is a mental health trust, yeah, so um, we liaise with all the teams often and stuff like that and it's, it's a very, I say a small trust, um, there's only like two, three thousand staff, which sounds a lot but it's not, keeping in mind like... You've got like HR, catering, transport. Yeah. It's very much, um, in fact, the NHS is very much like the military and its structure, um, pay scales, and just how it's run, just minus the, um, yeah, like, camouflage and shouting. But, uh, yeah, 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 it's very much how it's run, yeah, and it's, um, it's good. Do, to you ever, do you ever get involved with the, the actual, I know you do, like, the sort of technology side of it. Do you ever get involved in, like, the actual mental health side of it, like, helping people? Um, not directly, but we've got, um, in fact, we've got a team who, as it is my, uh, my management as well, he's ex-forces too, and we've got a great working relationship. Um, his, well, we, we liaise with a team that's full of veterans, um, obviously the vet service, and ironically, all the people in the vet, veteran service have never served, so they don't really know yeah. much about it. And obviously, that's yeah. where uh, me and Andy, my manager, um, sit down and we talk with them and like explain things because if someone's offloading or venting to them um, and they're using terms and terminologies they don't want to stop them and ask them or oh, could you tell me what that is because it just makes them look like they don't know what they're doing yeah yeah, uh, yeah. come to us and say you know what's this and what's that and what's this so it's sort of like it's good for us to be in the position we're in to allow us to bridge that gap between them and the service users so um, yeah. yeah it's good yeah uh, i i it's just it, when, it's going back to what you mentioned earlier about like the help you get when you leave. So actually, for me, like when I left, I I didn't get much help at all before I left. So whilst I was still in the military, I actually got more help when I left. Um, which again, I left you know like I said nine ten years ago nearly now, and I feel like it's probably a lot different now. I don't know if you can kind of say anything on that like is it a bit different now or is it still very kind of not very complex there's, or such there's still very in in the forces there's um such disparity between each one of them uh, it's it's crazy so my um my girlfriend she's 
just left the RAF um, due to obviously PTSD as well and the care and stuff that she's received is so much different to you know what we went through and stuff like that um, and with us it was just sort of like nothing in the army it's like okay you're leaving here's a list of entitlements for your courses and how to apply for your courses you yeah, want to yeah. other than that you won't speak to anyone or see anyone and on your last day it's just like yeah cheers for your service off you go it's like oh well you know is that yeah. it and it's just all of a sudden you've just gone it's all i've known since i was 16 from school literally no never lived on my own never done anything on my own literally as a schoolboy, joined the army and everything's here's your food here's your bedroom here's everything and then obviously 15 years later it's all of a sudden ah oh, i don't even know how to pay bills i don't know anything you don't get yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no life skills. there is no people say join the forces and you get life skills it's the absolute opposite you don't learn any life skills um, and when you come out and it's hard to integrate, not not hard to integrate, but it's like the civilians are just on a complete different wavelength because like the the jokes and the banter isn't the same as the forces. Like when you're in, no. in the army, you know, like people you've never met before, it's just ban, you know, it's just banter, and you come out as it a is. civilian, yeah, and people make offence, um, and it's like ooh. So, I mean, I've had one complaint put in against me. Uh, it was all, obviously, once it all got investigated, it was all quashed and stuff like that. And it literally just is, um, they're just not they're just not the same. Well, it's not them that's not the same. It's us, it's, it's us that are, are veterans yeah. that are changed. And um, I just don't think people are aware of that's how, how you know veterans are. They don't understand the background uh, where we've come from. Like no, uh, but it's yeah, it's, it is true. It is true. Like, I, I know what you mean. Like, I, I've had, not complaints as such, but people say, look, down, you can't say that, you can't do this. Yeah, consistently, you can't say yeah. that. Because obviously oh. we come from a background where, you know, to, to me and you, it would be a bit of banter and all that. But to uh, some, per, some you know, other person who's not served in the military, it's probably considered bullying or, you know, you know that kind of thing. But that's it in the forces like bullying was a rarity and if it was people were very quick to like all turn on the person that was out of order and yeah. everyone looks after everyone and everyone everyone just rinsed rinsed everyone do you know what I mean yeah, yeah. i got rinsed from people i rinsed them back and pranks to death where yeah that's it and it's just like just jokes and stuff where on the you, civilians a lot of them is like yeah they can't say that you've offended them and stuff like that and it's yeah yeah and if you as a spectator looking in or if it was written down on paper and you analyse it you'd be like oh yeah of course it's offended him look at it yeah but yeah yeah part of your thought process when you come out and I think when you come out it's like yeah here's some courses you can do and stuff like that and bringing your qualifications up to date and stuff is all well and good and that side of it I think the army do really well you know they look after you in that and you've got your grants yeah. to get your courses and so obviously I did the Cisco certifications and stuff which served me well but you don't get taught how to integrate and talk to civilians at no. all. And it's just, yeah. But, yeah, uh, no, I'm the same. I, yeah, like I said, I, I, I left, uh, like you say, about the grants. I did my all my fibre optics and copper cabling uh, stuff. You know, you, you use all kind of BT stuff. That's what I did when I first left. Uh, I went and worked for BT and worked for a subcontractor. But for me, like, I'd, I did I didn't enjoy it. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I did it for about, I think I did it for about three years, like both BT and then subcontracting. And then I kind of realized like, look, this isn't, this isn't for me. Like I, it's, it, 
it's the old cle- it's the old saying of same shit different day. I, I literally would go into someone's house, fit a phone line, come out, go next door, or I might, I might, you know, there was days where I'd go and travel from where I live here in, in Blackburn, all the way down to like Macclesfield, uh, which is kind of near the Peak District, and then. You know, after being in the afternoon, I'd drive up to bloody somewhere up in the Lake District, you know, like somewhere up near like Carlisle or something to go and do an up to do two or three houses. And I'm like, it's an absolute piss take. But yeah, it's crazy. Like for now, like obviously people know that some most people know now that I, I like I work with kids now. But, well, pre COVID, pre COVID, I work with kids doing outdoor activities, outdoor education. And do you know what? Like, I know people say their jobs are the best in the world and whatever you. Like, you know, don't get me wrong, I work, you know, I work in a big supermarket and people, you know, they've been there 15, 20, 30 odd. There's got a lady who works for us who's been there 40 years and she loves it. But I've been there, you know, nearly a year now since before COVID and uh, before I start, when I started there. And do you know what? Like, I've only been there, I'd only been there a few months and I was like, this is rubbish. Like, I can't do this. Like, I've got to do it because I've got to pay my bills. There's nothing else to do. But yeah. it's just one of them. But working with kids for me, like, is amazing. Like, I get to work with like the future generation. It sounds cliche, but it's true. Like, when I went to Australia, like, so obviously for people who don't know, I came back from Australia sort of March last year. Um, you know, when I was over there, I met a guy who was like, he was like the, is it Kelly Slater, the, the uh, surfer? He's like the world champion surfer or was at the time. I think that's his name. But he was like, he was like the un- up and coming young version of him. And I was like, that's amazing. I met I met a guy who was sort of the predecessor, he's like the New Zealand equivalent predecessor of uh, Lewis Hamilton. Like, he'd just been sponsored by Red Bull. You know, he was only 16 years old. He, he didn't even have a driver's license, and he was driving Formula, what is it, Formula 3 or Formula 2, whatever it is. And he was doing that, and I was like, this is amazing. I've met kids who are like, just going places, you know what I mean? It, uh, more than what some people that live in my hometown. Crazy. Never do. That's well, good. Kids, kids' minds are amazing, aren't they? As well, they're not, um, they're not influenced much by other people's opinions and stuff. They're just, it's like raw what they're feeling and stuff. So you talk to them and stuff, and you're like, that's their own opinion. Where now you can't really talk to many people. People don't tend to have their own opinion. They tend to repeat other people's opinions or be yeah. swayed by someone, and then that becomes their opinion instead of just saying what. They're thinking that way. Kids, um, like teenagers especially, they'll just say what it is. You know, my daughter's a teenager now, and she's like, yeah, argumentative to death, but, you know, yeah, she's a yeah. um, person and stuff. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, like, so. it's, it is, like it's, like you say, like, people, my only problem is with, like, social media. Like, don't get me wrong, there's some good things on social media, but, like you said, there is what they call, like, in inverted commas, like, influencers. Um, and they're, 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 all they are is people who, you know, we've got so many millions of followers or hundreds of thousands of followers on whatever social media it is. Like, and they don't really have any life. Some are, don't get me wrong. There is people who've got, like, proper life lessons to come from certain backgrounds where you think, oh, fair enough. But there's some who've just been born into money and stuff like that and haven't really worked hard to be where they are. But then they'll put some, you know, some bloody quote up on Instagram or whatever and everyone's like, oh, yeah, 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 share that, share that. And yeah. for me, like, I'm just like, why, why are you listening to these type of people just because they've got millions of subscribers or whatever? I think it speaks volumes for the people that are influenced by these people. 
if you need somebody on Instagram to tell you what you should be doing with your morning and days, then that, the harsh reality is you need to probably look in the mirror and say, am I ever destined for anything? Because if I need someone on Instagram to tell me to stop being a fat, you know, a fat lazy shit or whatever, or yeah. to do something with my life, then it's probably heading to nothing anyway, and it'll still probably amount to nothing. Um, yeah. I think successful people, the drive always comes from within. And if your personal drive and the fire in your own belly isn't there, then anyone else showing their fire in their belly isn't going to make you any better. Um, you know, you need to take the driving wheel yourself and, you know, make it happen. Um, and you know, excuses and stuff. A lot of people have a lot of excuses. And it's like, you know, taking my sport for once, people go, oh, my legs are aching, I'm not going to train today and stuff like that. And I just think, I've got friends that don't even have legs from, you know, places yeah, yeah. being and stuff like that. They'd love to be you. They'd be, they'd be training and doing it every day. They wouldn't be going, oh, my legs yeah, are yeah. sore. I'm not doing this, but, um, but yeah. And that's, yeah. I'm actually not even a very hard sport. It's fundamentally, it's quite a lazy sport. You know, you can only commit so much time in a day because you, you're fried after that. You know, you're, um, once you're done, you're done where some sports, it's like, like cycling and stuff, and I know you had the triathlon um, going yesterday. The commitment yeah. that must is insane. That's hours and hours per day, every day. You know, it's not. Um, but yeah, influencers and stuff. Some of them, yeah, great. Some of them that have got like the people that have lived it and have been a nobody, and then turned their life around. They they should be they they should be influencing people. People yeah. that have just born, been born into a bit of money and drive a fast car and make shit, shitty songs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Influencers. If people are being influenced by them, then they're fucking idiots, basically. Yeah. yeah. That's that's the problem, though, isn't it? Like, we, we live in a generation where that is kind of quite common nowadays. And for me, like, don't get me wrong, I'm not expecting to change the world with this podcast, you know. I, I, if I can change one person, I help one person, and they help one person or two people, it, that that's how I like to think I'd like to help people. If I can help one person and they help another and that, that'd be great for me. I'm not expecting to stand here and have millions of subscribers, you know, in the next week. And then everyone's like, oh, Dan's amazing, blah, blah, blah. He's, you know, he's done this, he's done that. I think he's amazing. I don't I don't expect that. You know, I expect to just chat as we are now and just help people one day. You know, that's something I'm hoping to do as a business as well. Um, so, you know, like I said, people, people uh, who know me well, I've been... In, you know, over the last few years, I've been going into schools, talking about stuff like that, about how overcoming adversity. And for me, like, you know, at my lowest, you know, people, a lot of people know this, some, especially some of my close friends. You know, I was I was an alcoholic for when I left the army. It's something I, I was drinking. I put a post up about this uh, last year because it was four years since I left. I uh, stopped stopped drinking, and I was drinking. I think something ridiculous. Like it was like seven times the amount of. Um, I can't, yeah, it was something anyway. It was a lot. It was a lot, basically. Uh, it was basically more than a week's amount of units I was drinking per day. Like, it was ridiculous. So, I, I, I'm not saying, you know, I've not had the shittiest life in the world. I've had a good upbringing. You know, my mum and dad brought me up really well. You know, it's just the last few things. If I can help someone, then, you know, I will. Um, what a lot of people need to realise, though, is... Um... Some people have perfect lives and they've still got really bad mental health issues and 
Like, you can't ever look from the outside and go, oh, you know, well, he's got money, he's got a nice house, he's got a good-looking girlfriend, he's got everything. But he might be, you know, manic-depressive from things that we don't know or his thought process. He might feel unfulfilled, you know, you, you never know. And then on the flip side, you might see someone who should look like they should be sad and they're not they're some of the happiest people you'll meet, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I think from looking out in, you, you'll never see what someone's going through. Um, and obviously brings on to the topic of suicides and stuff. And suicides yeah. a lot of the time are completely out the blue. It's the people that you talk to often, you know, you text your mates, mm. and then next week, gone, you know? And it's just like, and I think um, what you're doing is a great thing it's like helping to lift the stigma on like people talking about mental health and just yeah, people yeah. talking, or even just people watching this video, you know, might think, actually, you know, it's saying there, people do understand us, but it's just no one's talking about it. And just knowing that there's people around that understand what you're going through is, um, you know, a good thing. Any yeah, yeah. positive change in that person's life is is a good thing, yeah. Oh, speaking of help, before I forget, because I will forget, um, I have a free programming during lockdown for veterans, so strength programming. Even if you've only got minimum kit at home, um, just drop us a message. Dan will put my Instagram details Absolutely. on here. Um, drop us a message with the kit that you've got, the days that you want to train, and um, we'll put some together and, yeah, get you moving, get you strong. Yeah, so, no, awesome, mate, awesome. Really getting people strong, so yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. lose that offer, because after lockdown, you're on your own. I'm yeah. Like, no, always reach out to me, especially veterans and stuff. So even if you're actually still serving and not a veteran, um, another struggle of trying to balance, obviously, the, the army fitness and PT and stuff like that. But yeah, still give me a shout. We can um, get some at work in. So yeah, no, cool. absolutely, mate. I'll chuck that in description and all that, and uh, we'll, get, we'll get you sorted. Um, it's going back to that a little bit what you just said before about suicide and all that, um, and you know, mental, mental health. But I use, uh, I always tell kids like, like I might not gone through what you have been through. Like, I, you know, I might not have gone through a bad breakup or I might not have gone through, like, my parents splitting up or whatever it may be, because I haven't. But I know what suffering is. I know what pain is. But I always say to kids, pain, I think the saying is, pain is temporary, suffering is just voluntary. So if you, you know, you might end up having these situations where it causes a lot of pain and a lot of, you know, you know stuff like that. You know, like you might have had someone who's committed suicide or someone who's got, a, you know, a terminal illness or something. But it's not just you who's been through that. There's always going to be other people around the world who, you know, have been there. And like I said, I, I'm I'm very much open to helping people. Like, because end of the day, you know, when I'm old and decrepit, spend, as again, going back to working with kids, you know, never one day I could turn around and say, uh, see someone who's, you know, who's helping me, uh, who could have someone I've talked to years and years previous but um, something I, I think I've mentioned this before, but I'll, I'll, I'll mention it again because I, I don't, I can't remember if I have it or not. But there was a survey done uh, in a like a terminal illness sort of long, what they call it, end of life uh, ward, as such like uh, homes. Basically, someone went round and said, like, is there any like elderly, you know, to these elderly people uh, or just people who are not elderly, just you know, end of life, and said, look, is there anything you regret doing in life? And people are most for the most part, people was like, "Well, I don't actually regret doing anything. It's the things I hadn't done that I regret not doing." Um, yeah. Which I think, yeah, I think that's a good thing. Like, because I don't want to get to my deathbed at whatever age it may be, because you never know when it could be. You know, like going, like just talk a little bit about because I know you do powerlifting, but uh, strongman, 
uh, I, I follow strongman quite a lot more than more than you know powerlifting if I'm being honest but I watch strongman quite a lot um and there's a guy called Aaron Page I don't know if you know him I've yeah, heard about him yeah he, he died re- uh, just before you know end of the year last year um and unfortunately he died of uh, covid and you know he was in the peak of his career he was just about to qualify for the world's strongest man and you know he he was only I think he was about my age, 30-something, early 30s. And, you know, he was looking at doing this. You know, he's going to be the new up-and-coming sort of British strongman. And, you know, unfortunately, he passed away of COVID. So you never know when it's going to happen. So it's just, you know, live live your day every day, uh, you know, every day as if it was your last. That's what I always say. Um, Now, I just want to, I want to speak in the strongman or, you know, uh, that kind of, you know, strength kind of sport. So obviously, you, as I mentioned earlier, do powerlifting. Uh, not you know yeah. you don't do just powerlifting. You're a British powerlifter. You've been in was it in the European team and you competed at the World Powerlifting Championships. Um, so not in my current federation. My current federation, the standard is so high. But um, when I left the forces, I lifted for uh, the BDFPA, which is the British Drug Free Powerlifting Association. I yeah. won the British Championships with them, which qualified me to go to the Worlds, and I won the Worlds, which is the WDFPF. Um, but all all that was in the hundred kg category. Um, however, there was a federation um, alongside this where the standard was much higher. So I moved across them. Luckily, I won my first British Championships with them, not by much. Um, and I've only competed once with them, and I just missed out on a podium spot by I think it's like five kg or something. But the standard has just ramped up so much in the last couple of years. Yeah, but, yeah my progress is flying as well. So, um, yeah, yeah. so I'm in a good place and um, hitting PBs recently. So I've just done a, a 305 raw squat, um, a 225 raw bench press, and then a 305 talk and deadlift, which is my weak lift. But um, it's getting yeah, yeah. Um, That's But yeah, so I've invested a lot of time into it and um, constantly learning, learning all the time. So yeah, um, as long as we're moving forward, that's all we can do. Yeah, exactly. Um, are you able to train pretty well like during these current times, or have you got like stuff? Um, yeah, luckily. So I've got um, a full garage setup, which means like nothing's compromised. Um, yeah, I can. Yeah, do all I need to do here. So yeah, not too bad. That, oh, that's pretty good then. Um, so something that I read about you, or I, I think it's on your Instagram. It says the road to nine hundred. Like, for, I, 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 I'm pretty certain I know what it is, but for people who don't. Like what? What is the road to nine hundred? Uh, inflammation and uh, hobbling. <laughs> so my training frequency. I train five times a week, which is um, it's not super high frequency, but the nature of the sport is probably about optimal. Because problem is, you could train every day with all the fire in your belly that you want, but your progress will just usually go down because you're not recovering. So, um, so yeah. I said earlier about being quite a lazy sport. The sessions are hard, very hard, don't get me wrong. Um, but for the rest of the time, you're not actually training, you're all training for, you know, a couple of hours every day. Um, but, so I mean, I'm like squatting two or three times, bench pressing three times and deadlifting twice, plus all the ancillary movements that go with them. But, um, so the road to 900 is going to be sort of a four month uh, volume block, which is lots and lots of work, build up the foundations, maybe pack on a little bit of muscle as much as a drug free like lifestyle allow me to um and then from that start tr- uh, transmuting all that and translating it to maximal strength and power um 
for those that are watching that are into their strength, um, my philosophy, which I used to actually talk with a guy called Fred Hatfield, who I think is one of the best lifters to ever grace the planet, but he sadly died of old age now. Um, I used to talk with him a lot and, um, and the importance of developing what's called the components of strength. And he realized that um, when you, so say for example, if you take the bench press, um, you have a, a certain trait called start strength, which is the amount of force you can produce, like, you know, instantly in one go. Um, and then um, keeping that strength turned on and adding more and more to it, so recruiting more and more muscle fiber um, to accelerate the bar. And he said there's two types of lifters. There's those that, like, pop, so say, for example, off the chest, so they'll, so they'll like, lift up the chest real quick, and then it'll slow down and they'll, they'll squeeze the lift. And, they'll be, and that's because they're not accelerating, they're not recruiting more and more fiber and then the other type of lifter is them that it, they struggle to get it going but once it's going it gets faster and faster and faster so they lack start strength and identifying that in each individual lifter is super important and um, there's exercises you can prescribe to address that so say for example on the bench press you would do what's called if you lack start strength you would do pin press so you would press it off pins sort of like a dead bench press if that makes sense so you press it off a catch bar, so that's that's taken all the weight and you're obviously firing it from nothing. Whereas if you did the other type of lifter where you can't accelerate, you probably use bands or chains on top of the load. So as the yeah. bar gets higher, you're having to recruit more and more force. Um, with some very, very specific loads, uh, like weights on the bar for them traits as well. And as soon as I did that, I went from like 180 kilo bench press to 220 kilo bench press in about... A year keep in mind it took me like eight years to get to 180 yeah 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 so it's it's like so revolutionary and he was so far in front of the game he squatted 465 kilos at 46 years old with like no equipment just, that's crazy easily as well if you watch the video of him it's like that's insane yeah so but yeah amazing that's crazy crazy i i remember when we used to train um we, like I said earlier, we used to train at 21 SIGs with, um, with Jay. Now, I'm hoping to get Jay on the show at some point. I've, I've emailed him, so... I'll, but again, no, if you don't know who he is, Jay Alderson, he's a, he's a massive fitness influencer now. Um, he's, he's, he's awesome what he does. Uh, and yeah, he ironically, you, you've gone on to... Gone, you know, doing British and World Championships in powerlifting. He's gone on to be one of probably the most one of the most successful UK fitness influence influencers and then there's me <laughs> so just 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 me that uh, nothing else i've not really I, I played rugby you know everyone knows i play rugby but not to any level of what you guys do don't get me wrong i've played against uh you know in charity of teams like touring teams i played against sex world you know world cup winners and i played alongside world cup winners um you know I, i'm not as fit as i used to be and you know i i think when we were training uh, many many years ago as we mentioned before we started recording i i you know i was up and above like my deadlift was always my strong point for me personally uh, and i was always up and above sort of two two ten sort of like two two hundred two ten you called a two twenty you had five plates on tw uh twenty kilo plates there was and you definitely had five plates on um, I remember you pulling um, 220 for a single. I think technique broke down. It was like the most horrific lift I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But most of all, it weighed about 70 kilo at the time. So Yeah, I was going to say. I was, I was probably only 70. I think I was about 74 kilos, 75 yeah, kilos. So 
for pretty much a three times bodyweight deadlift. And that was only after, what, six months of, like, powerlifting training. Yeah, yeah, that was just basically me just taking out all the... And, and to be honest, like, you, obviously, you were relatively new to it, so you were still technically learning yourself. I suppose you are still learning, in still theory. Learning. Yeah, yeah. So, me, I was basically learning from you who was already still learning. So, I reckon if I was to go back and do it, which I do want to, I, I, I think stuff like powerlifting, or I hate to say it, but, like, CrossFit-type stuff, is <laughs> I can see you. <laughs> I can see you grinning. Podcast over. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah. Go I on, mate. CrossFit's probably great for. Um, I don't think it's good as it. I know it is a competitive sport, but I don't think it's a good competitive sport. But as a way to get in shape and lose weight and maintain a bit of muscle and just conditioning in general, I genuinely think it's great. Um, I know it gets a lot of flack in the powerlifting world and stuff. But yeah, for, especially for off-season stuff, and I think um, I think if people remove the competitive element, you'd remove the, all CrossFitters are broken. You look at them all; they're all like they're all together with glue and sellotape and all sorts. Every time you see one, there's like yeah, something yeah. bands around your neck. Oh yeah, pulled my done this, done that. And I think if they remove the competition away, um, it remove the injury rates with it. And the other thing with it is. Um, there's some movements that are just ridiculous, like uh, yeah. unpopular comment, but like kipping pull-ups, it's not a test uh, of strength, it's not a test uh, of fitness, it's sort of like swinging in time with the bar <laughs> as long as your body will let you swing and kick your legs, you know, it's like... Yeah, yeah. And Olympic lifts as well, like trying to impose the Olympic lifts on them. And it's, the Olympic lifts are such a specific, skillful movement that people dedicate like the whole life to so just to throw that into a sport that's got a million other things is a bit, a bit yeah. after it. It's yeah. quite a lot to concentrate on, isn't it? Um, yeah. Don't get me the, wrong. It's the pull-ups and the Olympic lifts, and even the deadlift to some degree, as to why people don't take CrossFit serious, because people that are masters in them sports and disciplines just watch it and think, what the fuck are they doing? Why don't yeah, they just yeah. stick to it? Like, yeah, you know? Yeah. There's um there's many videos like, as I said before like I'm mass I'm big into my my strongman stuff not not physically at the moment but I mean like watching as a as a spectator um, and there's a lot of people I follow who would look at you know CrossFit and absolutely ridicule it but it's funny because I watched a video with Eddie Hall who destroyed one of the uh, wad workouts uh, he absolutely destroyed it um, and even himself who's obviously a one of the best strong men of all time who said he actually can understand sort of what, like you said, there's certain aspects of it that are good, but some of it is pretty crap. But obviously I, I know as a, as a powerlifter yourself, like there's a lot of difference between strong man and powerlifting. Like obviously for instance, I know particularly with the deadlift, most strong man deadlifts probably wouldn't count because you know, like hitching and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, like, would you how do you ever look at like people doing trauma like if you ever watch like when Ford did his 501 or when eddie did his 500 do you ever look at it and think it's not quite strongman is a brutal sport there's a lot of it though that's a bit like um smoke and mirrors you know like when people do like carrying a motorbike or do whatever and it's yeah. like yeah it's on a leverage and stuff like that but to be honest the strength of some of the strongman is insane um so I lift out of place, um, and I, I see a guy there often, a lad called Luke Richardson. So I train out. Yeah, it's yeah. Actually, well, it's yeah, Luke's yeah. gym. 
I train that predominantly. Yeah, Europe, uh, Europe's strongest man last year. Yeah, and you know, he's done a thousand kilo total in powerlifting before going to strongman. So when you see people, you know, beating Luke, don't get me wrong, I think he is the future of strongman. I think in time to come, he will win it. Um, but when you see people making Luke look averagely strong, yeah, yeah. I think he must be like really strong because Luke is, you know, Luke's really strong, you know, and it's like yeah, impressive. He's a big, big guy though, you know, he's like 160 yeah. kilo or whatever it is. Yeah, so, yeah. But still want to make him look distinctly average. Yeah. Did you, did you watch the uh, World's Strongest Man this year, like at Christmas? Did you watch it on I the telly? Yeah, yeah, same. Um, but then if you look at someone like the winner, Alexei Novikov, like he's, 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 he's only small for a strong man. He's only like six one, I think, six foot, six foot one. He's only like 130, 135 kilos, which is very. You go back to like four when he was at his prime, he's six foot, what, eight or nine, and 205 Two. kilos. Yeah. Like, it's ridiculous. And he, he is just, I think it must be that kind of, uh, it's kind of like that. It seems to me, by from an outsider, it's like this Eastern European kind of crazy, like weight lift, like strength athletes that come from that part of the world. Like, do you get, do you get a lot of people from that neck of the woods doing I powerlifting? Um, yeah, of course you do. So, um, you know, the, <laughs> drugs aside, because obviously, like, um, there's a lot to drugs answer for a lot, but obviously, yeah, not because every you go to any average gym and every yeah, the guy in there is on some beds and steroids, you know, but they're not well strong. Yeah, yeah. So I take that aside, but I think there's so much to be said for powerlifting anyway. I think um, a lot of the old Eastern Bloc type lifters and like Russians and stuff like that. I think it's just it's not even a case of is somebody on steroids or not. It's just a general part of the regime of training and doing it. I'm, I'm uh, just from like, not experience, personal experience obviously, but um, just from the names that you see, the all lifting non-tested uh, federations and obviously strongman's non-tested and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think that gives a lot of skews the results somewhat. And I think, yeah, you know, drugs allows us to see these things that are like amazing to see these feats of strength. But the thing is for the athletes is a lot of the time, all things equal, it just comes down to who's willing to trash their health the most and take the most substances. And that's what it ends up coming down to. All things yeah, yeah. equal. Um, so if you get someone who's genetically strong, well motivated, very good training program, stays injury free and then takes like just gets in the red yeah i'm going to die young i'm going to take insane amounts of this that's the makings of you know the best athlete uh the best strong man that we'll probably ever see but um but they make that sacrifice so um just like someone taking all that and doing all that you can't really go uh, but he's on this when actually it should be more a case of he's willing to do that to achieve that um so yeah. What one hand takes away, the other one you've got to like look at. And yeah, go, yeah. Fair play to him if he's willing would, to. Would, would you ever consider like... doing it? Would you ever consider um, doing no, strongman? No, no, I'm, I'm too short to be um, a strongman. <laughs> oh, do one of like under one hundred fives and stuff like that. But the problem is, is like it's not a popular sport at all for under one hundred fives. People are care for because otherwise it's yeah. just like watching the same as the big guys, just with smaller weights. So it's not as interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. Yeah. Um, it's just, 
I just don't think I'm suited to the sport whatsoever. Um, yeah. I had a couple of goals, a little bit like log and stuff like that. And I had a go with stones a couple of times, but um, it just gave yeah. me an appreciation for it is a hard sport. Um, mm. But I think there's a lot of training philosophies to be tapped into with it as well. So if you look at like powerlifting and stuff like that, the, the training is so rigid because you only ever need to do a one rep max on three lifts. So you can like sequence yeah. your training in a way that this block potentiates this block and this block is going to allow you to do better in this block. And it's all moving forward to these things where strongman isn't some things are for like heaviest weight, some are for maximal reps yeah. and some of the dynamic, some of them are static, which is completely changing the whole dynamic way of training. Um, yeah. And I think there is so many, I think for a sport that's so popular, the training methods and stuff like that are so, um, what's the word? They're not like, they're not formatted in a way that's like generally accepted as good or bad. I think, I think there's people are winging it. I think literally people are just winging it. I think they're just trying to do standard strength stuff, do events. So they get a bit of skill on the events. And there's probably so much more to tap into in terms of like the best way to do it. And I think that answers for why you get people that are like, um, like Polish lifters and stuff like that, that are insanely good at any body weight. And I think it's down to training methods and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it yeah. has to be not too dissimilar from a race perspective, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. But for, yeah. That's it. For someone 135 kilo to win it against people that were 170, 180 kilo who are good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, not like running a hundred meters half a second faster because, you know, you've got like a, um, black genetics or throwing a shot put like half a meter further because you've got white genetics or anything like that it's yeah yeah a massive difference you know 50 kilo lighter and still winning is, is something like that it has to be yeah yeah down to stuff yeah it's got to be that's crazy uh, yeah it's, that's, crazy. it's crazy um uh, one thing i want to get onto next like just just quickly like uh i don't know if, how much you want to talk about it but you know you say you mentioned to me uh, before like about couple of things you have like illnesses you have like me yeah so um obviously i was in i was on a course uh in the army when um i got bit by a tick i didn't think anything of it i just um and then like it was about i don't know a few days later i came down with like the worst flu of my life and just i didn't bridge the two together and then over sort of like a period of time i was getting more and more ill more tired all the time just just something off i was aching everywhere even when i, I thought i was just overtraining, so i'd like tried taking a bit of time off um and it didn't change it was still and i just sort of accepted it of you know maybe i've just messed my body up i was it like 25 or something at the time so i just persisted persisted i was getting worse and worse and worse and um i think on the stage where i went i need to go to doctors something's not right you know convinced i'd like I don't know, cancer or something like that. Cause it was just a different level of fatigue, you know. It was like, mm, yeah, sneak, like literally at work, sneaking to go to the toilet so I could go to sleep for half an hour and stuff, despite yeah. having a good night's sleep. And something just wasn't right. I'm still training. I never missed any training sessions or anything like that. So I went to the doctors, um, and they asked, like, they did loads of tests and said, um, so it was off with my white blood cells and said I've been bitten by anything or anything like that or been ill. So I said, well. Um, I had the worst flu of my life about, you know, like a year ago, and I've never been right since. And um, he said, did you eat anything or come in contact with anything? Or I was like, actually, yeah, a week before that, I was, I had a 
tick bite on my toe. I was orienteering and um, he went, oh, okay, so he's sent off for what's called um, a spirochete test or something, which is like some residual thing of Lyme's disease to test and it came back positive, which is good because the test, even if it's even if you do have it, it doesn't always show, but it came back as a positive test and it was like, oh yeah, you've got a uh, Lyme's disease. I was like, you're joking. So I was having um, intravenous uh, antibiotics, like consistently. Um, so yeah, slowly got better after that. Um, and then along all this as well, I don't know if that was the catalyst for it that I started getting worse after that as well. So I suffer with Crohn's disease as well. Luckily it's not very bad. Um, pretty well treated at home without pharmaceuticals. So, um, but I don't doubt there's gonna be a time in my life where I'm probably gonna need more medical intervention for that, but I can only do what I can, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, stress, stress seems to be the main trigger of it. So um, <laughs> for the most part, so even obviously the Lyme's disease is gone and stuff like that, um, I'm still tired. Um, not always, but like some days, especially from stress and stuff, I'll wake up and I'll literally like slide out of bed feet first, like, and I'll just be on my knees on the floor and I'm open body, I'll be on the mattress and I'll like, I'll just stay here for another five minutes and like, you know, it's it's hard to get up on a thing, combine that with training, um, but that's um, chronic fatigue as from what's called post-Lyme syndrome, um, but it's not always there, just most most of the time it's there, but it doesn't affect, doesn't affect me at all other than obviously being tired, but still do what I've got to do. Sometimes just, you know, as you alluded to before, it's like I can't moan, I've got, I've got two arms and two legs and they're working. So yeah, yeah. More than what some people have, so that's enough for me, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, you just, you got to appreciate what you've got sometimes, aren't you? Like I said, um, there's, you know, there's a guy I, I follow on, on online, uh, Kai, um, oh, what's his name? He's going to annoy me now. Uh, oh, he's going to annoy me. I can't remember his name now. He's put me on the spot. But uh, he's, he's basically got no arms and no legs. And, like, he's, like, so, like, he does everything. Like, he can pretty much do anything. He can drive. Obviously, he's got an adapted car and all that. But, um He's, you know, he's got married, he got married, had kids, blah, blah, blah. You know, everything you can imagine like, he can pretty much do, like, within reason, uh, obviously being all, all adapted. But, yeah, he's, honestly, I'll, I'll, I'll try and remember his name and I'll tell you after, but at the moment I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But, um, yeah, like I said, um, it's been good chatting to you, mate. Like, we we haven't had a proper full-on chat for years, like, absolutely yeah, years. And I don't – I know – and I've not physically seen you. I don't think I've seen you in person since we were at 21 Sigs, which was, I'd say, like probably 13 years ago. Yeah, 13, 14 years ago or whatever. Time goes quick. Time goes so quick. It does, mate. Well, it's long overdue. So I think once we can, once everything's settled, um, we'll have to get, get together and you'll have to try and try. Well, actually, I don't want to say that. I was going to say you can try. You have to try and beast me in the gym. But I've pretty certain. Lockdown's over and that you'll have to come over, crash over. We'll get some uh, sessions of food on and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, mate. That, yeah, it's 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 been good, mate. Like I said, um, I like what I'll do is I'll I'll put like you were saying earlier about the stuff, the services you provide and all that. I'll put all your social medias in the uh, in the in the uh, link in the description and stuff like that. Um, so thanks very much, mate. It's been good chatting to you. Uh, no, long no, overdue. No. Um, for everyone else, uh. I really appreciate everyone listening. Uh, if you want to take anything from it, as I say, I'm always happy to chat to people, no matter who you are and where in the world you are. Uh, I'm happy to chat to people. So if you want to catch me uh, on, on my podcast, uh, I'll check, check
check out my Adventure More page on uh, YouTube and other social media. Uh, and if I don't see you soon, I'll catch you on the flip side.